0: Ocular surface disease. It's complex, chronic, and progressive, but rife with opportunity for the enterprising optometrist.
1: The mission of this podcast is to make this condition more understandable and accessible to those interested in specializing in it. So let's get to the point. Welcome to another episode of To The Point Podcast. I'm Jackie Garlick, and I'm joined by my co-host, Leslie O'Dell and today we have something very exciting we have a guest with us we are going to be chatting with dr selena mcgee so dr mcgee is the visionary founder of precision vision of edmond a boutique style eye care practice that specializes in dry eye disease specialty contacts and aesthetics she was also the co-founder of precision vision of midwest city an odmd practice specializing in premium iol and cataract surgery She's a member of the Oklahoma Association of Optometric Physicians and the AOA, and she currently serves as the president of the OAOP. She was also named Young Optometrist of the Year in 2012 by the OAOP. Today, we are going to be talking with Dr. McGee
0: all about ocular aesthetics. So let's get started. Dr. McGee, thank you so much for being part of To The Point today.
2: Thank you guys for having me. I'm super excited to talk about all things that we're going to talk about.
0: Yeah, so you have a big interest in not only dry eye, but also in the aesthetic side of dry eye, which is a growing niche um, and a much-needed one for the patients that we serve with dry eye, and that's really what we were hoping to lean on your expertise for. So maybe first just give us a little background about your um, journey with dry eye, and then we can get into the... um, addition of aesthetics to your practice? Sure.
2: So um, historically, I was in an MD OD practice that I co-founded 17 years ago. And then about six years ago, I purchased a more boutique style OD practice that it's more concierge, but I got heavy into dry eye probably around 2006. And so It's interesting how this journey has happened because when you start down one road and you start to pull that thread with dry eye, it feeds into really everything that we do. And so that's been what's so much fun about dry eye and why I really like talking about it and just exploring it with patients because so many people suffer from it. And so those same patients are doing things sometimes to their health that they don't even realize that they're sabotaging. And so, when you start talking about aesthetics, they're definitely interested. And then when you start performing the procedures yourself, it's, they're really excited that they have a resource that that we all have. And honestly, optometrists know more than they think they do around aesthetics. And so I don't want people to feel like they're intimidated by this or these kinds of conversations because patients need this information.
0: Yeah. And if you don't have it with them, you know, sometimes they're going to go places where they might Not be treated with the ocular surface in mind, you know whether it's a um, dermatology office or you know even just an esthetician office. Some some things are being done even in hairdresser um, in hair boutiques. So it it can be kind of a scary world when you aren't having that conversation. Did you did you
1: um, purchase that practice like thinking that you were gonna you know transform that into sort like because it wasn't a dry eye practice right when you bought Mm -hmm. it.
2: No, it was really, it really was, I bought it from a physician that was retiring and I transitioned him towards retirement. And, you know, like all of our practices, if we're not really intentional about them and how we age with the practice, our patients tend to age with us. And if you're not really growing the practice every day, then things can happen. And so it was kind of on the decline. Honestly, he's a fantastic physician, but he was tired and ready to retire. And so I didn't purchase it with the intention of, you know, oh, I'm going to have this big dry eye center of excellence and then now we're going to do aesthetics. But it did, it's just morphed into that through this journey, which has been really interesting. And it, kind of the way that I got into aesthetics was a little bit of a an accident. But I had a technician that worked with me who was um, also a nurse and she worked in plastics for about 10 years and we just kept having these conversations and she's like, why don't you do injections? She's like, you are doing everything around the eyes. It doesn't make any sense to me. You have all of the anatomy and physiology. You know how to do this. And I was like, you know, that's a good question. I don't know. And so I started doing more research into it and talked to our, our board and they were like i i don't know if you can do that i mean i'm in oklahoma right we we can we have a amazing scope of practice but i wasn't sure that even fit into it and honestly they weren't either and so that conversation went on for about 4 months and we had discussions back and forth and the board of examiners did in fact say that it is within our scope of practice and so at that point, I was like, okay, awesome, here we go. So now I have to you know, train myself on how to do this as far as cosmetic injections because I learned how to do therapeutic injections, right? And so a little bit different and you're injecting different places with different reasons. And so I actually just went to an injection class that was intended for MDs, DOs, dentists, and I think there was RNs there as well. And it's, this is the interesting part. So whenever I went to this course, they weren't really sure they were even going to let me in. And they were like, well, she'll just pay your money. Great. Fine. I guess you can come. So I will never forget this. And people that have heard me lecture about this and hear this story, this is how this all really unfolded. And was one of those like pivotal moments in your life where you're, you look back and go, okay, that was the moment that this happened. So I was in this class and there was an MD that had passed her boards literally the night before we took this course. And she, I mean, if she was like me, I was the smartest I was ever going to be after boards, right? You have all this information before it like starts filtering out. And so the proctor asked her, as we're studying these injections, he said, what's the muscle around the eye and what's its action? And she's like, I have no idea. And so like the hair on the back of my neck, like, you know, stood on end. And I was like, okay, not only do I belong in this room, but I'm the only person in here that knows the anatomy and how to do this. And so from that moment on, it was just full speed ahead. And that took, you know, once I got that, and then it was really funny. I got the little course like certificate when I got home that said, um, Selena McGee passed her Botox course practice manager like it didn't even have my degree or anything else (laughs) around it so that was really interesting and fun but it's really hard to get trained MDs don't want to train us I've been kicked out of more trainings you know trying to do other injections and learning so there's that piece and so now I just I help doctors and help train them too as this has morphed over the last three years but that's how I got into it and then it it went into, okay, now how do I offer this to my patients in a way that makes sense, right? And so, you know, you don't wanna walk into a room and say, oh, well, let me fix those frown lines between your eyes, don't those bother you? That's not the best way to approach aesthetics. So that was an interesting journey as well. And so that's morphed from just simple material in the room to a questionnaire that has photos on it. Now, do these areas bother you? And that's when it really took off. And it's part of my dry eye questionnaire too. And so I have questions on there that uncover dry eye, that uncover rosacea, that uncover sleep apnea, macula health questions. And then I have the aesthetics piece at the bottom, which by the way, don't put, are you interested in ocular aesthetics? That's an epic fail. So, (laughs) um, And also on your rosacea questions, make sure that you put, does your skin flush? After eating certain foods, don't leave out the skin part because that's essential. I made that mistake and that questioner lasted a day before I had to change it. <laughs> and so um, that that has really taken off. And so it's funny, I have patients now that come in that I had a, a lady you know before all of this COVID crisis has happened that came in for a subcon team. And she's like, okay, well, I'm glad that that's all good and well, but I need you to fix these 11s. Can you do that while I'm here? (laughs) And so it's been really fun because, you know, patients want to feel good and they want to look good and they want to do it in a way that is safe. And when you have nurses and physicians and other people and your patients too that say, you know what, I would trust you more than anyone else to do this because you, you know the anatomy so well. And so that's kind of historically been how I got into injections and then it, it's morphed into other things because I do have a big dry eye practice. And so I have IPL and that was a perfect fit because now I've got a treatment for MGD and dry eye and also by the way, we're doing aesthetics. And so it's just, it's, it's done really well and it very symbiotic relationship
1: can I get your opinion on, um, IPL? So I have a friend of mine that has an, uh, IPL machine and he, you know, was taught, he he's like, I-, I see these patients with like terrible MGD. And I really think like, Oh, these people would do great with IPL. And he's like, and none of them are motivated until you they're, they more want the photo facial. Like yeah. that's what they want. They don't really care that their glands look terrible. They're like, I'll take the photo facial. I don't know if you've had that same experience that has been the exact same experience because you
2: can talk about, oh, it's going to make your dry ice feel better. And oh, by the way, we're going to make your skin and your texture look better too. And they're like, oh yeah, sign me up. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't care how much of this, whatever. Sounds good. And so it has been really interesting to see. Um, I don't have the same um, capture rate with my thermal pulsations as I do my, as I do my IPL. So I've had to get creative with my packaging.
0: Well, I, I think that gets to the um the point that I hear sometimes people outside of I say that um, when people are going to the doctor they don't want to feel old and that's sometimes even what keeps them from coming us to us in the first place. And so really being able to offer things like you're doing kind of makes that fear go away, right? You're not making them feel old, you're helping to make them feel youthful. Um, and I think that's why IPL's caught on so well. You know, when I would say I have this treatment, um, you know, for MG- there's a treatment rather because I'm not yet using IPL only because of some state laws that are sorting themselves out. But I'd say there's this treatment for MGD, and the upside is it makes your skin look better. And people are always like, "Well, yeah, I want to do that <laughs> over some of the you know other choices." So I definitely think if you can look good and feel good, that's obvious win-win. For definitely. Sure. Well, and our patients,
2: I had one patient that you know because a lot of our our dry eye sufferers, I mean, they're. They struggle with this every day, right? And so it becomes part of their new normal. And so I want them to feel as normal as possible. And so this is another step in that direction. And I had one patient, she's like, you know, I feel bad because I'm vain. And I was like, this has nothing to do with vanity. This has to do with your health and the way that you feel about yourself. This it's and so those conversations become interesting and it it just it's a different relationship with your patients. Honestly, because you're spending even more time with them in these focused ways. And so that's been a really nice bonus is the relationships that I've built with my patients, too.
0: One that's interesting um, about being vain, because one of my patients um, is post cataract surgery and she's in her 70s. And now she can see clearer and she was completely blown away about her wrinkles and I had the conversation, well, we could find, you know, you a place that can do something as far as a fill or maybe do some kind of relaxing treatment around your eyes. And she was all in, you know, in her mid-70s. And um, I, I thought, actually, early in my career, I had a woman in her 90s that said the same thing. She was mortified when she looked in the mirror that she had wrinkles. But I thought, like, you're 90. Like, how did you think you got to 90 without wrinkles? But... You know, her; she just couldn't see with that precision vision um, to notice that she had wrinkles. And that would be shocking. Imagine you couldn't see yourself clearly for 10 years. And then, I mean, it's like when you're in the hotel and you use that bright light magnifying mirror that you should never look at. Never. Never use those. <laughs> so I think never use those. Even talking to your patients after cataract surgery um, to say, is anything bothering you? Is, is something that I'm going to start doing more? Do you do any kind of... Um, fills or you're just doing the Botox?
2: I just do neurotoxin. I have done fills but the interesting thing about filler and the way that it works in your face you really need to do mid-face if you're going to target areas that we're familiar with like tear trough which is the most common one that people want done but tear trough is always off-label and it's really hard to put it in the right place and there's lots of anatomy there that is very delicate and you can blind somebody if you don't know what you're doing. So that's scary. (laughs) Yes, it is scary. And it might look really good for a few months, but down the road it can migrate. And so until I get much better injecting and I have more practice, I am not comfortable doing that. But what's interesting is because patients ask about it, now we have a very real conversation about how they should educate themselves because other injectors may not be as forthright about that kind of information. And I've surrounded myself with injectors around me because a lot of patients want, you know, lower face too. They want lips. They want, you know, these little marionette lines. They want other things done. And so we can have a conversation about that and then I can refer them to like-minded professionals who also by the way send me referrals back and so it's created this whole other referral back and forth which is really nice to have too.
0: Is that mostly with dermatology in your area or plastics or?
2: It's actually the the one that I've worked with the most is a nurse injector and she's done injections for 20 plus years So, and she's a trainer too. So if you can find people in your area like that, that train, they're awesome. So my oculoplastic surgeon that I work with, he doesn't like cosmetics. He hates cosmetic oculoplastics. He wants functional oculoplastics. So he and I have a perfect symbiotic relationship because he sends me his cosmetic stuff and then I send him my functional. And so that relationship works really well. And so you can build some really cool relationships around you that I want people to think about oculoplastics like they do their cataract surgeons. You know, when I lecture about this, I always ask, you know, how many people in the audience co-manage their cataract patients and every hand typically goes up in the audience. But when you ask how many co-manage with their oculoplastics, it might be one or none. And so that's what I want to change the mindset of that. And especially moving forward because back to dry eye and MGD and especially dermatology, I mean, our patients that are on Accutane and more and more of our youth are on Accutane, which we know destroys my glands. So those relationships are becoming more and more important as we learn more. And so building those and being intentional about building that kind of a community is really essential.
0: Hmm.
1: How do you do your IPL? Like, do you sell it in a package? Like, what's your...
2: Yes. Yep. So I sell it in a package and the reason I do that is because I want them to get the full treatment. I want, I don't want them to do one or two and then they feel a little bit better and look a little better and then don't get the full effect. And so I do them in packages. Um, and I have, I also have, um, so I have thermal pulsation for dry eye and then I also have radiofrequency, which is skin tightening. And so I've got basically a a non-invasive bleph package that's skin tightening skin texture plus neurotoxin so you can build some creative things like that and i mean when you if you've ever visited you know an injection clinic or you know a medical spa or you know somebody that's doing heavy plastics like this that's the kind of menus that they're going to have so to speak is packages of different things customized to the patient but yes they're all packages
0: sounds like i should be making a trip to oklahoma soon (laughs) For all these delightful things, but radiofrequency um is very interesting as well. Are you doing that mostly like around the crow's feet, or you mm-hmm. do it at, yeah? Mm-hmm. So and
2: you and you do it on forehead too. So you do forehead and then you do paraorbital because it will you can get two to three millimeters of um elevation on patients that aren't ready for a full bleph, and so you know done you can put off surgery for a while, and patients are usually much. More interested in that than they are than having a surgical procedure. Sometimes they need the surgical procedure, but sometimes they want to buy time.
0: Yeah, I mean, but that's hard to recover from. If you can put it off for a while, that's that would be good. How long? So how does that work? Is that a multiple treatment? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so okay.
2: it's multiple treatments too, and the idea is you're heating the the skin, the the dermal layer of the skin to forty two degrees Celsius and for an extended amount of time. So that you start to create basically inflammation and then your body will start building collagen. So you want to do those treatments typically four weeks apart, which is just like what we do for IPL. So I can do these customized sessions together. I do um, IPL first and then I do radio frequency afterwards. Because if you do radio frequency first, you've got too much target there. So do your IPL first, then do your... Um,
0: on the same your, day? Or you mean... Uh-huh. Yeah, you do on the same day. day. Okay.
2: Yeah. Same day. And then radio frequency. And then if you still want to do neurotoxin, you do that obviously at the very end, because you don't want to migrate that anywhere that it's not supposed to be.
1: So how do you start this conversation with your patient? Like, I'm just thinking like, this is a comprehensive exam. Someone's just coming in and then just as an aside, maybe they see it in your waiting room or something, Um, you know, and they're asking you questions about that. Like, how do you, like, how do you talk about all of that in the exam? Or how do you approach that to somebody who's like, oh, I see you do this? Or, you know, like, how do you, what's your beginning spiel that you tell patients? Sure.
2: So I love that they ask the question. And so that's the super important piece to discussing it with them in a a way that makes sense. And so my first question is, tell me what bothers you? Because what bothers me may not bother them. And you don't want to point out something that doesn't bother them. Mm -hmm. Right. So then we talk about, okay, well, there's, there's different ways to treat different things. And so then we walk through like all of those steps and then we can schedule, you know, after that. But I typically don't discuss like the end question usually comes up about money. So I try to do my best to not discuss finances in the room. I like to leave that to my, my technician or my optician. But sometimes it does come to that. My advice usually to doctors is don't talk about money in the room, but um, so yeah, that's how it comes up. One of the conversations that is an easy one is I always, when I'm doing my slit lamp exam, I always look at lids and I tell the patient, by the way, I'm looking at lids, we're looking at lumps and bumps, we're looking for any kind of skin cancer because that's a really common place for skin cancer to show up. And they're usually like, what? what are you talking about? And then there, then that is a whole other conversation, right? And so now we talk about sunscreen and then we talk about products and then that morphs into, these are the things you need to avoid because it's sabotaging the front of your health of the front of your eye. And then it just, it's like that thread we talked about when you pull the thread, it just starts to, it just starts to come. Um, and so sometimes those conversations can get lengthy. So if I have a new consult Um, I will put that in a slot of its own because you can spend an entire comprehensive exam slot discussing all of these options. So there are specific consults in this built into the schedule for that so we don't wreck the flow.
1: Yeah, that's what I thought was like, oh, I could see like this conversation getting pretty lengthy and then Uh you're like. Yes, and when I
2: started because I was much more slower and the conversations were more difficult, I wasn't as comfortable, I built those where I only did aesthetics on one day but once you get comfortable with it and you get the flow, you can start tucking that stuff into what you're already doing, which is really nice. But I would not advise that to start off with. Start, start
0: slow. <laughs> Do you think that um, – so since I'm in a state that there aren't injectable laws, but I definitely have the interest in adding this you know, to my dry eye – Um, center as well. Do you think just having certain things like radio frequency paired with IPL, you could get enough of an effect or you would just have to share the next step with, you know, like a nurse injector like you were talking about?
2: It really depends on the patient, but you can definitely get a a direct effect with just doing those. And not everyone loves needles, right? And so it's a non-invasive way to achieve the things that they want to, to achieve, but, you know, you can always follow the MD model too, right? If you have a, a lot of these places have an MD that's not actually doing the procedures, it's it's an injector that they're overseeing. So there's another way to be able to do that. And I have colleagues that they are the injector, but they still have an MD medical director. So that's an option. Um, or you can, you know, if your law allows to have someone in your practice, just not you doing it, then there's another way to do that. So there's more than one way to to achieve it, even if your law doesn't say that you can.
1: Mm -hmm. Do you feel like you're, you get more, like more of your patients are doing IPL versus like a, you know, Lipiflut or tear care or something?
2: Yes. And I've tried to figure out how to couple those packages because With my IPL, they and what's and it's really interesting because I have my pricing set for thermal pulsation at like half of what my IPL is, but I get way more uptake with IPL than I do thermal pulsation. And there's a handful of patients that even at the end of their fourth treatment for IPL still need thermal pulsation, but it's not nearly as many as um, as it used to be before I did IPL. But it's that to me is really interesting on the patients that are are getting those kinds of treatments
1: that just goes to, that goes with what we said earlier like people are like oh i can look a little bit better too i'll pay the upgrade to do that yep. like yes <laughs> yes so <laughs> So Selena, can you talk a little bit about, you know, cosmetics is another big issue that patients will ask questions about what makeup is safe to use. How do you talk about that? What do you say to patients? Do you give a handout? How does that work for you?
2: Sure. So this one's super important. And because patients are not getting the information that they need, you know, especially in the age that we live in with, you know, the beauty bloggers and the influencers and all of this, stuff that's on the market right now that, and we see behind this lamp and we have a microscope, right, that we're looking at eyelash extensions and, and glue issues and just rampant things that patients do themselves without them even knowing it. So first is we have to have a conversation around that. And so I just ask, you know, Hey, if they, you can tell, you know, I mean, our patients too, when you look at, eyelashes if they're using some kind of serum. I mean, I can tell if my glaucoma patients are compliant or not from across the room, right? So, you know that, but you can you can ask, "Hey, are those are your are your lashes natural?" Great, good for you. If they're not, let's talk about what you're using. And then that drives that conversation. If they have extensions, I ask how they clean them and how they take care of them, and then that starts another conversation. And then I talk about how they take their makeup off, and that all feeds around that same eyelid sunscreen conversation. So I talk about ingredients because historically it's been really hard to find any kind of product that was specific, that was safe, right? Because in the U S we know based on all the work that, that Leslie has done and others in the field that have looked at, you know, the US bans what 11 ingredients in different products, and Europe it's like over 1300. So, when you start te- educating patients around that, they're A, horrified, and B, like sometimes really upset because, you know, I've had a patient that she's like, But I buy really expensive makeup. Okay, well, you're buying really expensive marketing, and she's mad, right? And so how do we educate our patients around this? And so I do have handouts that I give patients and we talk about the ingredients and this is what you should avoid. But yay, finally, we have something um, on the market that is coming soon. And eyes of the story is what we are going to be able to have in our offices now. And I already carry products. I carry sunscreen you know, I have different drops for patients. So this is, this is not new, but this is a finally a product line that I can tell patients, this is what I would use. And it's mascara and eyeliner, you know, I, um, an eye serum, a facial cleanser, because historically what most of my patients take their makeup off with is the Neutrogena towelettes. Guess what is in that? BAK at a very high level, which is just stripping everything
1: right off the front. I'm never so, going to lie you. I totally
0: use those. <laughs> <laughs> so well, You just have to turn the package over and read sometimes, Jackie, and you'll be completely appalled. I, I have been. Mostly if I'm traveling and they'll have like the convenient eye makeup remover and on the front it will say no alcohol or something and then on the back it's like literally five parabens all in a row and I'm thinking, okay, well, there's no alcohol. But there's still things that are going to be irritating to my eye. So up until Eyes Are the Story really launched, nothing was made. Things were starting to come, you know, through other companies um, and doctors were even reselling some of the, those products in their practices, like Beauty Counter and different lines like that. But So cleaner beauty, but nothing yet was developed with the eye in mind. So that's what really is going to set this product apart is it's clean cosmetics, rooted on science with the ocular surface in mind and and um, governed kind of by that European standard. So hopefully patients will receive them as well um, as uh, the doctors have so far. Well, and I think
2: it's a, it's amazing because that's what takes up a ton of chair time, right? Patients want something easy and they want you to tell them what to do. And so historically, when I, when I have to give them a handout that's got 15 things on it that says avoid these or like, okay, great. And now I can say, okay, here's the five products I would use, and, okay, that conversation, we can move on to something else. And so I think that's going to be huge for doctors across the country and our patients.
1: Yeah. And myself, apparently.
2: (laughs) Okay, well, (laughs) true. So when I started doing IPL, I took everybody's makeup off with those rutrogena towelettes until I started reading the back, and I was like, I'm doing more damage to my own patients. Crikey's. So uh, don't feel bad.
1: <laughs> okay, good. This is an education process for all of us. <laughs> when you said that, I was like, Ugh, I have to admit this publicly.
0: <laughs> if you think about the BAK, it's actually listed on those products. So it's as high as 1%. So think about the glaucoma medicine that you know is wreaking havoc on the ocular surface, 0.003%, you know, and lower sometimes. And so these, these are thousands of times higher. So that one's easy for us to see just as eye doctors and think like this doesn't belong here, but it is, you know, a different language to our patients and the consumer. And so whatever you can do to simplify it um, is, is good for sure. So do you think you'll do that? Your
1: or Selena, do you have that now? Like where you have a list of like, like a handout you just had like ingredients to avoid and not like product recommendations but now that might flip correct yeah i have a list of ingredients to avoid and then i have the two apps the think dirty app and
2: the ewg app like on that and then i have also you know products that we do recommend and so that's where this will fit in nicely um but i mean i have handouts on sunscreen how to put it on you know we always, the reason that skin cancer is so prominent around the eyelids is because no one puts sunscreen there and they don't wear sunglasses. And so, cause they don't want to get sunscreen in their eyes or it burns. And so. Or maybe
0: they don't want to get funny suntans, you know, like the, um, raccoon eyes. True. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that too. So yes, I have, I'm the, if my, my goal is everyone is educated about something new when they leave our office, whatever that may be. So
0: how do you tell them to put on sunscreen? I need to know this.
2: So, um, the, so we talk about the ingredients first, no parabens. Um, we talk about zinc oxide being, and not the oxy, um, ingredient, and then they need to put it, you know, just on their fingers around and then on their face. And then the very last thing they do once they like get it all rubbed in is use their fingertips and do the top of their eyelids and one more time underneath their eyelids. And so that will, and then of course they need to wear sunglasses period.
1: But What sunscreen do you tell people to use? What are your What's on your list of recommended? So products? I, ac-
2: I carry a product called Epiots in my office, and it dovetails with my products that I recommend post IPL procedures because they've got some um, cleansers and some products, medical barrier cream that just feel really good post procedure, and I really like their sunscreen and it's tinted, so they can at least I have been able to like, I don't even wear foundation anymore. I wear sunscreen and I roll on out of the house. And so it's one less step of product they're having to put on their face too. But that's just the one that, that I happen to carry.
0: Well, I think this has been super informative. Like I said, I'm definitely planning a trip to Oklahoma soon (laughs) so that I can look and feel as good as you do. And um, (laughs) I've 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 learned a ton. Um, So I really, really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to kind of share some of your knowledge in this niche of aesthetics and dry eye. Definitely. Thank you guys for having me. And now for the to the point wrap up. When building out your dry eye niche, considering things like ocular aesthetics can really help set you apart from others. When adding this to your practice, instead of you pointing out the flaws of your patients, direct the question to them, what bothers them, and maybe you can help offer a solution. Starting the conversation around cosmetics and sun protection is a great way to start. When you're offering services a la carte, like IPL or radio frequency, offering packages are really great and allow the patient to complete treatments instead of giving up halfway through because they feel better. Offering aesthetics is a great way to build relationships with outside referral sources. So who's to say we can't have fun, stay youthful, and look good while we're trying to help the patients we serve?